views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate inform and agitate an issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed and West Coast-based abolitionist and activist Leila Aziz. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution along with projects and people who help combat it. Please remember as of 2018, we are now streaming live from newabolitionistmovement.com. This is our January 17th, 2018 broadcast in our sixth season. On this day in history, in 1961, Eisenhower gave his prophetic farewell speech warning America of the military-industrial complex. In 1893, on Hawaiian Islands, a group of American sugar planters under Sanford Ballard Dole overthrew Queen Lila Kulalani, the Hawaiian monarch, and established a new provincial government with Dole as president. In 1759, abolitionist Paul Cuffey was born on the tiny island of Cuttyhunk, 11 miles offshore of New Bedford, Massachusetts. He was the seventh of ten children of Kofi Slocum, a freed American uh, African slave, and Ruth Moses, a Wampanoag Indian. Our abolitionist in profile is the Reverend Edward Scott, circa 1857. All we have of him is a couple of his speeches, one of which we will read tonight, and it addresses Christianity. In this segment, for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion, we honor Operation Push where prisoners began a slave labor work strike on Martin Luther King Jr. Day 2018 to protest prison slavery and deplorable conditions within Florida prisons. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Kirsten Lobato. Last week, with help from the Innocence Project, Lobato was declared innocent and freed from the county district attorney's office when the county district attorney's office moved to dismiss all charges related to the 2001 murder. As usual, we'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to 13th Amendment slavery from the perspective of abolitionists. Have a question or a comment? You can call toll-free at 
510-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Farthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Uh, I'm doing the best I can, man. Just staying on my abolitionist grind. So, you know, <laughs> I don't like to complain too much because, hey, I have. I, I wish I could strike and go on strike. But shout out to those prisoners, man. That's why I say, man, I don't like to complain because I'm not trapped in 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I know that there is a a bullseye on my back and they like to get me in there, but I I rebuke that. That's not going to happen. And I'm going to be on the outside assisting the best I can in this movement. Yes, sir, man. Uh, same here. Same, same here. Uh, so many things going on. But I've I seen that you recently had some communications with people that wanted you to participate in uh, recognition and celebration of the emancipation. Uh, apparently, they sent you a, a voicemail message from uh, the National Heritage Festival. Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, Max. Um, well, I've seen the phone call come in, but I let it go to voicemail because I didn't recognize the number and I was busy. So later, a couple of hours later, I listened to the message and it was of a uh, African descendant man uh, who obviously worked for, what's the name of it again? Because I've forgotten already the... The National Heritage Festival. Yes, the National Heritage Festival. So I looked them up and I found out that it's basically um, um organization. It seems to be predominantly African-Americans. And I was just very troubled by some of the stuff that I saw on there. For example, uh, they were talking about establishing a presidential site for Zachary Taylor. I looked up information on Zachary Taylor, and just as I suspected, he was a slaver. Okay, uh, they had another little appreciation ceremony for Barack Obama in 2017. And I was like, man, these people must not have listened to my program, uh, BTR News. They must have not listened to this program that I helped co-host, New Abolitionist Radio, or any of the other programs. Or I don't know why they would reach out to me like that. So the offer was that if I were to help them promote a festival for the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, I think it's the 155th anniversary of the Fraudulent Emancipation Proclamation. Um, we know what our our, our uh, ancestor abolitionist Frederick Douglass said about it. He called it a stupendous fraud. So they were going to have this ceremony, and they said, if you do a good job in promoting it, then you could have a front row seat. And some of the people they were inviting was Jesse Jackson and John Lewis. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. Now, I would do it if I would be allowed to be one of the speakers. Because you know what I'm going to do, Max, if I was given an opportunity. I probably would get up there and read Frederick Douglass' speech about the Emancipation Proclamation. So obviously, though, I was only going to be given a front row seat to the whole affair, and I declined. So that's what that was about. 
Well, I'm glad that you were straight up with them about that, and hopefully they look into what you spoke about. Um, it's amazing how many of these different organizations and groups uh, continue to uh, advance this fraudulent idea of emancipation and the 13th Amendment ending slavery. Just amazing, even with all of the information available today. And, you know, I like to think that we have a large part, uh, we played a large part in changing public perspective in regards to that, and even initiating some of the actions like we see right now, what's happening in Florida, where the prisoners are going on strike and calling this, uh, without any uh, questions, modern-day slavery and human trafficking. They know what they're going through over there. They're working for free every single day. And you know, another thing working. that I saw, too, is I'd like to congratulate you, Scotty, is the uh, article that came out that listed uh, Black Talk Radio Network as the number one black podcast that must uh, that is a must listen in 2018. Yes. Yeah, so a shout out to the Black Detour. Um, I extended an invitation to them if they would like to get a weekly podcast or a weekly a radio uh, program on the network to, uh, uh, I guess, complement their digital platform. Uh, and so, um, it, it, you know, Max, I always say we're not really looking for validation, but it does feel good when someone recognized the importance of the work and they recognized the entire network. It was a list for podcasts. And they listed individual podcasts. It was a list of 11. And like you said, Black Talk Radio came in number one. But instead of singling out a podcast on the network, they highlighted the entire network as a must listen. And they cited how we are one of the only uh, independent black news outlets and radio uh, platforms in the world. You know, black owned. And and again, you know, no individual owns it. It's managed by the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. So, you know, that was a pleasant surprise uh, when that article was forwarded to me by one of our uh, media partners, Charlotte Capers, who runs the hip hop festival in NYC, New York City. And uh, she's done a great job with that. But yeah, that was that was a feel good moment to get recognized by our own people. And, you know, that's not the first time that uh, the network has been recognized. But this very program, um, I, I really do hold that award from Missouri Cure above any kind of award I've gotten for any kind of thing I've been involved in and them recognizing new abolitionist radio. Yes, man. It was a feel-good moment for me, too, when I saw it. As you said, they recognized the entire network and not just one podcast, which also says a lot when you say, like, the whole network, not just one, but everybody on there. And it is a, a must-listen Network because it's one of the few places where you can find unfiltered black voices uh, talking about black issues on a on a regular basis. And you might not agree with all of the things that are going on, but you, you don't have to agree. It's an opportunity and a, a platform for black voices to be heard and dialogue. Right and dialogue, open dialogue. Uh, you know, I, I meant to mention too, uh, Layla. I don't think will be with us today. She has really been working hard. Uh, trying to uh, put together some things in California, including the voter initiative uh, for prisoners there in California, and she's got her twins. So she had recently asked if she could uh, maybe do this once a month until 
she gets uh, things in order. And I think that'll be fine. I think it's important personally that we have a feminine voice here uh, uh, as part of what we're doing. So it's not just a couple of men talking all the time. There's, you know, we, we don't can't cover all the bases. We can't think and, and as, as, or see things that maybe a woman might see or think. So it'll be, it's nice to have that voice here in combination with us. Well, Max, you know, we do not neglect on this program. We've had feminine voices before, you know, uh, we had oh, Erica Don't make me X. cry, man. <laughs> yeah, we had Erica X, uh, and May She Rest in Power, Legacy Leonard. And so we've always tried to be inclusive of our sisters. Um, you know, it is what it is. Things just didn't work out to where, you know, those individuals could be with us. And again, Legacy Leonard is with the ancestors right now. And I'm sure uh, she's very approving of us carrying on. Uh, the program in her absence and we'll see her again one day but um, you know so things happen and it's not like we're able to pay anybody so it's not like any of us are getting paid so she needs some time off to work on the things she's working on and attend to her family I certainly understand yes yes she can take all the time she needs and if she needs to do this once a month that's fine too until she pulls it together. We just want you to know that we love you and respect you. We appreciate everything you're doing. We look forward to when you come back on the program and share your views and news with us. Um, Max, I do yes. have something that's on my mind that I want to get out that wasn't part of the lineup of stories, and it just happened in the past hour. But I'm not going to mention a person's name. I respect this person. He's a writer. Um, I've helped push some of his work out to you know our followers on social media and whatnot but i don't know the man's name of he's of indian descent and when i say indian descent i mean like india the nation and he was accused by an unnamed person of sexual assault or actually rape um in a very sketchy article um again this person wasn't named but the accused, this actor, this celebrity was named, and it was talking about he didn't pick up on the nonverbal clues and he didn't pick up on the verbal clues. And, you know, this is part of the Me Too movement. And I was, like, just blown away by it because I was like, so dating is now a game of charades where we have to pick up on on nonverbal clues or that game show on television, $100,000 pyramid where you give verbal clues. What happened to just saying no and just saying stop? And I relayed that story to, to my mother and she was like, that's, that's just disgusting. That, that is, that's not rape. He did not rape her. And that's just disgusting that his name was dragged through the mud like that. And so um, this person told me they were going to write about it, but they said that they're not going to write about it because their mother told them that if you're not helping, then and, and then you're harming. And he said that he had wrote a piece, but he's not publishing because he don't see how it helps. And so I respect this opinion, but I expressed to him is that what you couldn't figure out a way uh, to uh, to to point out wrongful convictions and false accusations that have landed so many people in prison. I said, you know, I, I respect your choice, 
but I'm going to put out a podcast, and I am, uh, because I had people coming at me on his thread saying, you know, uh, I, it took me a while to talk about what happened to me, and all due respect to what may happen to her, uh, to her, but anybody who read that article, if that was presented to you in a court of law, if that man was being put on trial, I t- like I told my mother, I would have to vote not guilty by reasonable doubt. And I told those people, see, you the type of people who cannot critically think and you get emotionally attached as if this has happened to you and it didn't happen to you. He did not assault assault you. Uh, your Your alleged assaulter is the one who did what he did to you. And I said, you are the type of people who have no business serving on the jury and you are you are the type of people or why we have so many people in prison for wrongful convictions of rape and those lucky enough to get out of prison after DNA evidence clears them. But I, I just I got to do something about that. And I just also because it ties into what we're about on new abolitionist radio. We have uh, featured many writers of the 21st century underground railroad who have spent decades in prisons on in prison on wrongful convictions. And so I think it's very important. We interject that in this conversation around me, too. Thank you for allowing me that, Max. I had no problem, Scotty. If it's on your heart and you need to get it off, this is the place and time to do it right here, particularly if it involves with false incarcerations or wrongful incarcerations, which has happened so many different times uh, for so many different reasons and worse. Uh, you know, just a whistling at a white woman at one point could get you killed. And uh, things haven't changed much nowadays. But there's something on my mind too, man. And I really got upset about it. Uh, I spent a day just just angry as hell because I hadn't seen this coming and I knew what they were about. And we have reported on this before to a degree, but now they're just taking it so far. And what I'm talking about is the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm just so sick of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I don't give a damn what good people think they do. They are doing so much worse. They are literally driving the narrative that blacks are racist. They are influencing uh, political uh, 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 policies, government policies, like the uh, black identity extremism reports. This is coming from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I've actually sat down and talked with some of their leading members, uh, like out in Asheville, North Carolina, while I was out there, I sat down and talked with one of their leading members who sits on the board of directors uh, with the with the Southern Poverty Law Centers. And the things that they say is as if, first of all, they talk as if they don't know what race is. They are also wrongfully labeling black people as even capable of being racist because A, as I just mentioned, they seem to not know what race is. Because you and I, and here on uh, on New Abolitionist Radio, we talked before about how race even came into being. It was a construct that was created to justify slavery and human trafficking and the genocide of Native Americans here in the United States. That's where it began. There were no blacks and whites before that. It was all about nationalities. But after uh, whites, poor whites, and black slaves and Native Americans began to join forces in uh fight back against their uh, European oppressors, 
they decided to just, you know, create this whole narrative of a color-coded uh, system that designates people as black, white, red, yellow, and brown. And I'm reading, uh, or I'm going to read a little bit from an article that they put out, and you could just hear the fallacies just shooting out. I'll try to point them out as I run across them, but if you don't mind, I'll, I want to read some of that. Is there, can, we, can we start on that? Yeah, go ahead, Max. All right. This comes from the Spice SPLcenter.org. So this is right from the horse's mouth. It says black separatists typically oppose integration and racial intermarriage. Okay. They're saying that right off the bat as is, as if it's wrong. Like trying to keep your people uh, together is wrong. So it says black separatists typically oppose integration and racial intermarriage, and they want separate institutions or even a separate nation for black people in America. Most contemporary forms of black separatism are strongly anti-white and anti-Semitic. See how they said most contemporary forms? They just labeled them all, most of them. So eight out of 10, what is it, nine out of 10? In, in any case, it's a lie. So I'm uh, to go on further, it says, most contemporary forms of black separatism are strongly anti-white and anti-Semitic. And a number of religious versions assert that blacks, not Jews, are the biblically chosen people of God. Again, you start out by saying blacks. What is a black? What is a white? I mean, it's it's a fallacy to begin with. And then they go, not Jews. You didn't say not beiges. You said not Jews are the biblically chosen people of God. Now, I'm not going to sit here and speak for the black Hebrews, but I do understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. Further, it goes, although the Southern Poverty Law Center recognizes that much black racism, I can't even say that without my face screwing up, <laughs> in America is at least in part a response to centuries of white racism. It believes racism must be exposed in all its forms. White groups espousing beliefs similar to black separatists would be considered clearly racist. The same criterion should be applied to all groups regardless of their color. Now see, that was a suggestion from them. It's, it's not that that's how it is, that's how they want it to be. The same criterion should be applied to all groups regardless of their colors. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, and this, this is the one where I would just want to reach through the screen and smack somebody. How dare you quote King? Violence begets violence. Hate begets hate, and toughness begets a greater toughness. Toughness. It is all a descending spiral, and the end is destruction for everybody. Along the way of life, someone must have enough sense and morality to cut off the chain of hate. A leading example of a black separatist group is the Nation of Islam, led by Louis Farrakhan. And I'm going to stop there because the rest of it is just them going in on the Nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan. And, you know, I've never heard of a Nation of Islam terrorist. Never heard of a Nation of Islam shootout where they ran up and shot up a whole bunch of people in schools or in movie theaters. Never heard of any of that. But nonetheless, these are who they're calling the bad guys. It's just terrible, man. How we can allow a group like this to affect the policies on race by the United States government is beyond my understanding. I, I, go ahead, Scotty, because yeah. there's more to it. So go ahead. I, okay. I, I'll add more after your now, comments. Now, as you as you stated, 
we have people within the black community of various opinions, various ideology, ideologies, and all black people are not some hive-minded group to where we all believe the same things. Even within the quote-unquote black nationalist community, you have different voices. We had black nationalists participate in the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March and taking a stand and allying themselves against 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I don't recall seeing a representative from the Southern Poverty Law Center there. That's what we're talking about, right? SPLC, right? I don't, I yes, don't, sir. I don't recall them ever pointing out. So, and this is the issue they have with the Nation of Islam. Okay, um, they wrote a book and they pointed out the Jewish participation in the slave trade historically. That's the issue they have with the na- the main issue or main bone they have to pick. But there's nothing incorrect about that. That's a fact. Okay? That's a fact. And in fact, I believe it was the vice president of the Confederacy was also Jewish. I- I'm sure he was Jewish, but I'm not sure of his position in the Confederate government. And he was a slaver too. Okay? And so uh, uh, slavery is as slavery does. And I wonder now, again, I don't I don't subscribe to black nationalism. I'm a pan-Africanist, meaning that I believe that African people deserve to be treated uh, uh, with dignity and respect and and given their human rights no matter where they are in the world. And I believe that I should work with all African descendant people and out even outside of that. You know me, I'll work with anybody. Like Malcolm X said, as long as they trying to change this miserable condition on the face of this planet. But I understand where the black nationalists coming from. Okay? Uh, um, many other abolitionists. I mean, um, what's his name? Martin Delaney. Is the father of black nationalism. And he is the one that helped save the union by helping to recruit. And he was the first commission officer, black commission officer in the union army at that time. He's the father of black nationalism. And he ended up migrating to Africa. And you know what he said? He said, these white folks ain't never going to change. Ain't never going to stop practicing racism. So we might as well separate ourselves. And so he, him and a few others established a colony uh, in, I believe it was Senegal. I'm, I'm not for certain. It was not Liberia where the racist Abraham Lincoln and his folks wanted to send them all and what have you. So so that's just, and, and, and then the last thing I'll say about this, are they calling out the nation of Israel? for separating themselves and and creating a Jewish nation? I bet you some of those people at SCL, uh, what is it, SPLC, have dual citizenship in that nation. So I'll leave it at that, hypocrites. Yes, and I think that's what the driving force behind it is. They feel that because the Nation of Islam or Louis Farrakhan or the... uh, those who come before him 
have said some things that they felt were anti-Semitic, whether it be right or wrong, that they are going to demonize all black people from there on in. Well, Max, let's be correct, though, because I've written about this in the past. Semitic refers to African people. Yes. African people in the nation, excuse me, on the continent of Africa, there are Semitic languages. Okay? People speaks what's known as Semitic languages. That will be Palestinians. There will uh, uh, also be other people who speak Arabic, Arabs speak Semitic languages and what have you. So, like I tell somebody when they start talking about that anti-Semitic stuff, I said I ain't got nothing against nobody speaking a language. And I'll leave it at that. Right. Well, you know, there are some other problems with the SPLC, and that is in regards to uh, them having these offshore accounts out in the Cayman Islands and elsewhere where they are funneling in millions and millions of dollars. Uh, uh, I've got a report here that is posted on our new abolitionist radio page that says, uh, according to documentation, this activity wasn't isolated to 2014. They were talking about a bunch of transfers to the Cayman Islands in 2014. They say on March 1st, 2015, the Southern Poverty Law Center sent $2.2 million to an entity incorporated in Kanana Bay, Cayman Islands, according to the Securities and Exchange Commission, records and run by a firm based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Another $2.2 million cash transfer was made on the same day to another fund whose business is located at the same address as the previous fund in the Cayman Islands, according to the SEC records. The Free Beacon's Joe Schofstall wrote, the report quotes two experts reacting to the revelations as stunning and unusual. I've never known a U.S.-based nonprofit dealing in human rights or social services to have any foreign bank accounts, Amy Sterling Castle of Pacific Human Capital said. So apparently this is an anomaly for a human rights group to have offshore accounts in the millions of dollars where they're sending out $2.2 million to two different places on the same day. And having a a number of money transfers going into these offshore accounts in 2014. And this is what they're just finding out about them. Yeah, so I agree with you, Max. Now, had they done some good work in the past? Yes, they've done some good work in the past. And and they're, you know, so I don't want to typecast the entire organization. And we have Jewish people who are abolitionists today in a part of our movement. In fact, one of them traveled with us to Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, and I don't want to put him on the spot by mentioning his name or or anything. So, you know, uh, this is, again, these people are dealing in hypocrisy and what have you. And, but, man, I'm just running out of words. But, we do have a caller who would like to chime in on this topic uh, before we get started, before we move on, yes. Max. Yes, sure. Let's do that. We have our abolitionist comrade from the NYC area, tag on the line. Greetings to you, brother, and go ahead and speak your piece. Peace, tag. 
You might have to unmute. Oh, yep. there you go. All right. Uh, am I am I heard now? Yes, sir. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio Tag. Much appreciated, and and peace peace to you both. Peace to everyone throughout uh, Black Talk Radio Network, and um, really really feeling the discussion thus far as as usual. This you know uh, often and uh, today included you know has me kind of wanting to multitask. So uh, I have to uh, say that it wasn't on this present issue that I really wanted to chime in initially, though um, I'm, I'm definitely down to discuss this as well. But what you were discussing earlier, Brother Scotty, as regards this question of uh, false alarms and you know claims of uh, sexual violence uh, and how that has been racialized throughout the history of, of uh, this uh, formation in this part of the world, uh, just really, you know, just connected very directly with me, um, particularly because I've been peeping out this work that um, that you all recommended, in fact, uh, by one uh, Maximilian Forte um, around the devastation that has been wrought across Libya. Uh, called uh, shrugging towards cert, S pardon, <laughs> not not shrugging, slouching towards cert. Um, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, some in the uh, dependent media were were shrugging around what was occurring, but slouching towards cert, and it's a really um, revealing and important work. And I just wanted to kind of connect back to that. I mean, y'all mentioned this question of wolf whistles as well as this question of, you know, just the ongoing um, and just so repetitive and destructive um, pattern of these false claims uh, against uh, us, you know, against um, African descended people primarily and against uh, racialized populations uh, around um, alleged sexual assault and how, how uh, horribly that has impacted our community from you know the the so-called wolf pack uh, of the Central Park Five, you know um, you know Trump, uh, the 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 present um, seat of uh, authority in in this uh, in these uh, United um, you know whatnot uh, and and the fact that this was also employed and deployed against the people of Libya and against uh, Muammar Gaddafi to um, extremely destructive. Uh, effect and the fact that you know this is just one of many examples of the exportation, um, the the these uh, these enslavement tactics being exported from the U.S. Uh, uh, across the globe. Uh, Y'all mentioned you know Australia and um, formerly Geo Group and Core Civic and you know um, what's going on throughout Africa. Uh, and you know, all, all throughout the the world, the fact that you know the tactics of enslavement are being reproduced globally out here, and um, you know, it's just really not being often enough traced back to um, the source of it, which um, all too often is is, is right here uh, in 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 this uh, in you know uh, as a result of the domestic policies out here, much like the open air. Um, trafficking of enslavement, uh, enslaved Africans that's going on right now in Libya. And the fact that this um, completely 
uh, false and um, and and never uh, a claim that that has never been substantiated around um, so-called African mercenaries uh, whose charge was to um, commit genocide and um, commit sexual violence against uh, Libyan uh, women, you know, um, is was was a major factor in um, perpetrating and, and perpetuating that that uh, horrendous and destructive uh, campaign against the Libyan people and their sovereignty, which is still ongoing. I would not be surprised if you hear in the future, just like they did in Haiti, that the GO group or G4S got a contract in Libya to start building prisons as a solution to the problems there. You know, Max, speaking of the, the GO group, <clears throat> uh, Blacktivity on Twitter had published an article, and I shared it in btrcommunity.com. The city of Philadelphia is suing uh, Wells Fargo and for racism, for predatory loans and putting people uh, in those type of loans. And so I pointed out to them and anybody who saw the tweet that, look, uh, Wells Fargo is the second largest investor in the prison enslaver company, the GO Group. So you should be divesting from Wells Fargo on that alone. And how many years have I been calling for divestment in Wells Fargo and these other banks that underwrite slavery? Or at least the six that I've been here with you. Right. So, so I'm, and then when I know that groups like uh, the NAACP take corporate funding from Wells Fargo, and I may have mentioned it on air, Wells Fargo last year reached out to me within the past couple of months wanting to me to interview two of their loan officers as they try to target black people for home ownership and what have you. And I wrote the contact back and I said, I don't want nothing to do with Wells Fargo. I ain't promoting nothing to the listeners of Black Talk Radio Network as long as y'all are invested in the GEO group. And I never heard back from them. You know, uh, let me see if I can say this properly, but this we see this very often um, where organizations do good, but the bad that they're doing far outweighs the, the good that they're doing. And uh, an example would be cops, <laughs> like police. It's one of the reasons why we say there's no such thing as a good cop, because all police are participating in this modern-day slavery and human trafficking. So I don't care if you're hugging your wife, if you're giving your children Christmas gifts, if you're donating to the homeless, if you're training youths to get a job, if you're going out every day and arresting people for things like marijuana possession, or fees and fines and traffic tickets, you're a part of the problem. You're not good. You're just doing good things to try to make up for that bad, but that bad is insurmountable. The same thing applies to this bank, which has been involved in slavery and human trafficking since the 1800s. Since and the founding. same thing applies with the Southern Poverty Law Center. If you're out here pushing this narrative that black people are in any way capable of being racist, that they uh, have a race, uh, a racist organization, and that they're oppressing white people somehow, then you're just 
getting rid of all the good that you're doing because that good don't count. You're destroying everything right now. And the SPLC, for instance, has uh, in 2015, they had $328 million in assets with $50 million in donations. Not only were they sending money to the Cayman Islands, they were sending money to the British Virgin Islands and Bermuda. So what are you doing? These organizations that are supposed to be uh, working for the common good, the greater good, are actually destroying our communities and pushing these terrible narratives that are making things worse. Right. Max, we have a caller from the 702 area code. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Give us your name and speak your piece. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. This is Red in Nevada. Um, I definitely appreciate the show. Um, I just wanted that. I'm actually on. Um, I'm, I'm part of BTR community, and I had posted a, um, I had posted like a, a YouTube video. Um, it was about Broadmoor, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I didn't know Broadmoor. Um, it was mentioned in the book, um, the book uh, that is um, that Gus from the Calties doing the book study. Um, um, the Wisdom of Psychopaths, and it's a psychiatric hospital. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is that I, when I was watching the the YouTube video, trying to get more information about it, they actually showed, um, I guess they might be called inmates, because even though it's a, a, a psychiatric hospital, and this is in London um, or the uh, United Kingdom, they were showing them making like furniture and some people were artists and they would only pay them. It, they said 80 pence, which I guess roughly um, translated into about a dollar an hour. And they would then sell these different products. And I just thought that that was, that, that seems like they're also like practicing slavery as well. If they're, cause they show um, the person making a chair, but they had all these different tools, and even some of the artwork seemed like it's really good artwork that I'm sure that they could sell for more than whatever they're paying the people. So I just kind of wanted to bring that to y'all's attention, and I'm not sure if that um, if that was ever been spoken about. The video was actually from um, 2015, but I don't know when it was actually filmed. Um, but that's all I wanted to say, and I, and I definitely agree with um, uh, Mr. Rita Bell, his comments about the the me too movement i feel like it has gotten way out of control there's there's and it might be just a way for for um suspected white supremacists to actually put more people in jail because there's no that that's ridiculous there's no way for somebody to to be able to basically read your mind and and say that and know that you don't really want to to be involved with someone um but that's all i wanted to say thank you and i'll meet my line thank you red Appreciate that, and uh, you're right. That is slavery too. Where it is, if yes, you're not paying anybody for their labor, and you got them in a cage, what do you think it is? <laughs> I mean, come on. How many clues does the uh, average person need? Well, I want a lot behind bars. They're making commercial goods sold on the open market, and they're not getting paid anything. And if they don't work, they're threatened with either uh, isolation or loss of privileges or loss of uh, what little rights that they have. And I would also connect that, and again, thank you, Red, um, for bringing that to our attention. And we know that many of the people who are on these prison plantations suffer from mental illness. And they also, and so, yes, that is slavery, that is exploitation, 
of those people's labor and many of these quote unquote psychiatric hospitals are prisons basically and and I had yes. n- never heard before that they were making furniture and stuff like that so until you posted that video to BTR community I did not know that and that's something that we're going to have to uh, uh, include when we talk about slavery is these psychiatric hospitals if they're doing engaged in that that's slavery that's slavery and uh but also it was something else it just escaped my mind so max maybe it'll come back to me later uh but but please carry on well i guess i could go in with one of the examples of what we're talking about when we're using this free labor uh free prison labor which is why the florida inmates are striking right now and why all prisoners across the entire country should be striking is an article that came out of U.S. News, uh, NBCnews.com, and it's in regards to the secret industry of inmate staff call centers. Now, imagine that, a call center built into the prisons themselves where the prisoners are getting paid pennies on the dollar and people uh, who own these industries are making hundreds of millions of dollars in free labor and services. Uh, I'll read some of this one. It says, when you call a company or a government agency for help, there's a good chance the person on the other end of the line is a prison inmate. The federal government calls it the best kept secret in outsourcing, providing uh, inmates to staff call centers and other services in both the private and public centers. The U.S. government, through a system called federal prison industries in dollars a year providing prison labor federal records show the great majority of these contracts are with other federal agencies for services as diverse as laundry construction data conversion and manufacture of emergency equipment and as we know from other articles and stories that we've heard we even have prisoners who are working in the white house or in uh, government uh, governor's mansions as uh, servants in those mansions and in the White House. But the program also markets itself to businesses under a different door, providing commercial market and product-related Unicor made about $10 million for six months of fiscal use. Hey, Max, period for which Max, give me just a figures are available. Max, let me mute yes. you and unmute yes. you. Maybe that'll clear up your line because you started breaking up on us. Hold up. So um, let me unmute you. Okay, give it a go. Also markets itself to businesses under a different name, Unicor. Related services. Unicor made about $10 million from other agencies and customers in the first six months of fiscal year 2011. Let me just add on there that we also found out that in 2012, Unicor was worth nearly $1 billion a year in revenue. The Justice Department and the U.S. which companies they do said inmates provide private call center service, including data review and sales lead generation. Sales lead generation. That means they're cold calling people. Would you like to buy services or insurance or whatever it is from a freaking prison for some of the top under a federal mandate to help companies repatriate jobs they have outsourced overseas? 
In a fact sheet, Unicor asserts that prisoners in the program are less likely to reoffend and are better trained for full-time work upon release. All revenue goes back into the program, which operates at no cost to the taxpayer, it says. I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest of it on New Abolitionist Radio. I think just that right there is enough for us to dissect right off the bat. You know what? We already know. Yes, Scotty? I just had a thought. They need to be audited. And I've said this before. For those that don't know, Unicor is owned by U.S. Inc., USA Inc., the corporation that we call our federal government, which incorporated in 1861 or 71. And that's billion dollars annually, and it's going right back. I don't believe in you saying it's going right back. Oh, so y'all must have some uh, some very highly paid uh, prison plantation overseers. I think like Ron Paul has talked about audit the Federal Reserve, which isn't run by the federal government and it needs to be audited. I say Unicor needs to be audited. It needs to be audited and we need to start a campaign for that too, to raise awareness. I think you are absolutely right. Yes, please continue, Max. People need to know where that money is going. You know, there's two sentences that we could just break down right off the bat and show that they are full of crap. Uh, Unicorn asserts that prisoners in the program are less likely to reoffend and are better trained for full-time work upon release. Well, let's look at the stats. Right now, we know that uh, nearly 80% of state prisoners end up right back in the system. 80%. So if this is somehow helping to change that recidivism rate, we're not aware of it. I ain't never seen it because that recidivism rate is not going down. It has been at 80% since I've been doing this program. And so that's the first thing. And we know about yes. felony disenfranchisement. It, like these employer, why would why would AT&T for example who was one of the first telecommunication companies to to start using prison labor as a way to kill uh, 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 labor unions? And what do you research, people? Uh, do you? Cause I remember when their current president gave that little Black Lives Matter speech, and I'm like, y'all using prison labor? Go sit down, you okay? And and so they're acting like you know these the once they get out. They're going to get jobs, and they're not getting jobs. That's the whole point of the felony, uh, uh, you know, disenfranchisement. They're not getting jobs, so that's just that's just a, a lie, and it scares me because Donald Trump, it was led by Jared Kushner, his son, who just happened to be Jewish, SPLC, and so he is pushing this initiative. Put, talking about job training. I posted the video in btrcommunity.com. Uh, they had it at the White House in this little short discussion on, oh, we need to work on training these people and getting them ready, you know, to go back out into the world with job skills and so that they don't come right back in. And like you pointed out, Max, that that's just a lie. That's just a lie. So I feel like they're really going to expand the use of prison labor by this initiative that they were talking about. Right. 
because they're getting them in the prisons and they're getting the labor from the jails too because we have been talking about the chicken farms and Coca-Cola and how these courts now are sending people who haven't even been convicted yet to work on chicken farms for nothing. With a chicken farm working for free and the same thing in a Coca-Cola uh, planting a plant where they were doing the same thing there. It's just outrageous. You know what it reminds me of, Scotty, is the other article that I was hoping to reach today where uh, these fourth grade work to take home and do, which three good things about slavery and three bad things about slavery. Well, here are the good things about slavery that we're, they're talking about right here. How they save taxpayers' money and how you can get all this free labor, and how the government doesn't have to pay for this because everything is self-sufficient. We're not talking about a damn commune. We're talking about a prison. Wow. That's Scotty, disgusting. Man. And, you know, since we just uh, went past Martin Luther King Day, let me quote Martin Luther King because a lot of our so-called leaders are out here uh, advocating these types of programs where you get these free labor and they're not talking at all about the things that we're talking about right here on New Abolitionist Radio every week. We are literally the voice in the Luther King said although popular Negro leaders are now emerging, most of them are still selected by white leadership elevated to positions supplied with resources and inevitably subjected to white control. The masses of Negroes are suspicious toward this manufactured leader. We have to create leaders that have virtues that we can respect, who have moral and ethical principles that we can applaud. We have to refuse crumbs from the big city machine and demand a fair share of the loaf. And that's from his book called The Testament of Hope. So yeah, man, this whole thing with Unicorn it's spreading all over the country now, and other states are duplicating this program. It's filtered down into Georgia, Arizona, and even in New York, uh, where they're exploiting this prison slave labor. And, of course, we've spoken here many times about the firefighters in California right. and what Kamala Harris's office is. They can't afford not to use free prison labor because it would cost a million dollars a year, and they're already broke. And let's not like, forget... What excuse me, that Senator Harris recently, excuse me, Senator Harris recently visited a woman's prison in California where these women prisoners, these victims of modern day slavery were sewing together American flags. And she heralded that as a jobs training program. So this is what they got in mind for us folks when they talking about this reform, because as I mentioned, Donald Trump's little little summit on on you know uh, this job training and training these inmates so that they don't come back into prison, it's all a scam. Okay, it's all a scam, and then they're going to have bipartisan support for that. That's what reform looks like, and like Max has said often, you can't reform slavery; you have to abolish it. So if you, this is why I don't buy into any kind of identity politics. Your skin color don't impress me. That don't make you my ally because you look like me. 
It's your values. It's your principles. It's your ethics, as Max right. just quoted Martin Luther King. Yeah, you, you can't compromise with slavery. That's how we got here now, trying to compromise with slavery. That's what Reconstruction was all about, compromising with the South and slavery, giving them another opportunity to use free labor. Max, Man, let's take and, yes, let, sir. Let's take an early break. What I want you to do is hang up and call back in and, and establish a better connection. Okay, Scotty. Uh, I'll give us the uh, sign-out then. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here at newabolitionistmovement.com on the Black Talk Radio Network, and we'll be right back after these messages. Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Scotty, if I start messing up again with my connection, let me know, and I'll switch over to my cell phone instead of using uh, my earphones as microphone. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, I guess one more story we have just been discussing, uh, discussing I want to cover, and uh, then we'll try to squeeze in as many of these uh, articles and stories that we have available for us today. And this one comes out of Alabama, and it really accents just what we've been talking about here. Um, it says Alabama sheriffs filled their wallets by starving prisoners. And this comes from the Daily Alabama law lets them get spent on food from their jail food funds. And of the yeah, Max. Sheriff oh, you, Max, give us a call back with your phone, man. It's, it's, it's breaking up. And I suspect, and I'll tell you why it's breaking okay, up, but I'll talk to you offline. I know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, call us back on the phone. Okay, I'll call back. Oh, right. So, yeah, Max. Well, in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and grab uh, that story. I've yes. made it available, and you can uh, handle that while I call back. Yes. 
All right. So give me just a moment, folks. And I'm very familiar with this story. This isn't the first story about this. This is also happening in Louisiana, um, um, although this story is focusing on Alabama. But that is where you have sheriffs who are given the power over the food budget, the food budget of their detainees. And they are able, by law, this isn't illegal, y'all, just like slavery isn't illegal, the slavery we talking about isn't illegal, this isn't illegal. The money that's left over is they're able to pocket it. So, Max, I'm still looking for the story, man. If you got it, you can go ahead and, and continue um, reading okay. that. you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Well, uh, if I'm coming in clear, I will continue. Alabama law lets sheriffs keep whatever doesn't get spent on food from their jail food funds. Now, 49 of those sheriffs are refusing to disclose how much of that money made it to detainees' plates and how much landed in their own pockets. Since July, two civil rights groups have been asking Alabama sheriffs for their bookkeeping on jailhouse meal funds. The two groups the Southern Center for Human Rights and the Alabama Appleseed Center for Law and Justice have good reason to ask. One Alabama sheriff recently came under fire for taking money from the jail's food fund and investing it in an alleged get-rich-quick car loan scheme run by a convicted fraudster. But instead of turning over documents on food funds, Alabama sheriffs remain tight-lipped. So the two civil rights groups are suing the 49 sheriffs to find out where detainees' dinner money is going. In most countries, money in most counties, money comes in on a per-inmate, per-day basis. Aaron Lippman, a staff attorney at the SCHR, told the Daily Beast, in most cases, Alabama gives sheriffs $1.75 per day to feed each detainee, although that rate might vary for people detained on behalf of the U.S. Marshal Service or Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Wow, $1.75 a day to feed an adult. Whew. If sheriffs don't spend all the meal money, Alabama lets them pocket it for personal use. For some sheriffs, that means hundreds of thousands in bonus cash. In Alabama's Etowah County, the sheriff took 250000 and compensations from food provisions in 2016, according to documents reviewed by the SCHR. But most counties do not reveal how much of their jail's food budgets make it to the dinner table and how much went to the sheriff's bank accounts. Beginning in July 2017, SCHR sent Alabama sheriffs four letters requesting documents on how the meal funds were being spent which should have been available to anyone who asked under the Alabama Public Law Records Law. None of the sheriffs turned over the records. While Sheriff Wallace Bulge, Alabama inmates starve, civil rights activists say. We, as an organization, received hundreds of letters a month from people in jails in Alabama, Littman said. Sometimes there are concerns about people not having enough to eat, being hungry, and losing weight. Sometimes it's food that's not nutritious, particularly for people with various metabolic issues like diabetes. Sometimes it's frankly just disgusting, like food that's
still uh, frozen or food with insect larvae or animal droppings inside the food. Alabama's Morgan County Jail has been operating under a special court order since 2001 when detainees sued then-Sheriff Steve Crabb over abuses in the jail, including inadequate food, and one so handily that a court ordered the county to build a new jail. Well, there's a lot more to this story here, and I suggest that everybody read it. I'm, I can't go through the whole thing right now, but you can understand what's happening. Apparently, the sheriffs are allowed to keep whatever money they don't spend feeding inmates, and guess what they do? They either feed the inmates slop, or they don't feed them at all. And we have reported on these inmates who are eating literally maggots. We've gotten videos from the Free Alabama movement where they showed you these alleged beef patties that look like animal droppings, literally, and they had rat poison in the food. Scotty? Max, while you were um, calling back in, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, and I was relaying this to the audience, but I recall the same thing is going on in Louisiana. Do, does your recollection, do you recollect that as well? Um, I do believe I remember something like that happening in Louisiana, but I can't say with 100% certainty, although I will look into it. And I suspect if Alabama's doing it, then there's very likely many other states doing the same thing. I just didn't know that it was a law. Well, it isn't surprising when the U.S. Constitution makes slavery legal. There are just way too many opportunities for all of these different industries and individuals who are in charge of people's lives to exploit them in so many ways, whether it be the food, the medication, uh, the medical treatment. All of these things are being either uh, completely omitted, they're not given at all, and they're allegedly given so they got paid for, but nobody ever received the treatment or the food or the training or anything like that. They're just exploiting them at every level, even up to the point where now they have decided that they don't. Even, some jails won't even let you visit family members anymore. You have to pay to visit them via uh, video conferencing, which is upwards of $15 for 10 minutes. Max, revolution. I tell you, man, abolition is a reason for a revolution, as you yes, say. Sir. That's what's coming to my mind right now. And those people who are in that state, don't take no for an answer. You, as a taxpayer, that sheriff works for you. And I don't see how they can stop someone from seeing the books. That's public money. That's, pu that's a public entity. That's a government entity. And we have to stop allowing these people because, you know, I was really strong, strongly believe this. They do it because we allow them to. Yes, that's exactly what Frederick Douglass said. Uh, you want to find the limits of oppression to see what people let them get away with basically and we allow them to do that we, we seem to be always waiting for somebody else to do something when it's us that has to do something as individuals we can all do something well like frederick douglas also said that uh and i'm gonna paraphrase what he said is that he prayed for freedom but he ain't get free <laughs> until he moved his feet <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he, I remember that one. He said he uh, he prayed, but he didn't get freedom until he prayed with his feet <laughs> and got up and got moving. And uh, look at the effects of that because he prayed with his feet. Well, Scotty, was there anything that you want to cover in particular uh, before we pull up the rest of this uh, this week's uh, articles? Um, no, no. I follow your lead, brother. Well, there was one thing that I, I did want to know uh, from conversations I've seen you've been having, and I think it was about Dr. Boyce Watkins, but I can't be sure, over the Martin Luther King holiday. Uh, am I incorrect? Well, I didn't have a dialogue because he don't never respond to me. <laughs> but other people um, were agreeing with what I said to him. So to give you all some background, I was up late one one morning the day following uh, Dr. King's uh, recognition day. And so I was checking Twitter while I was uh, working, and I saw that 12 hours earlier, Dr. Boyce Watkins said, "Would if Dr. King were alive, would he be proud of the black community? And so I responded back to him, and I said, is, what kind of question is that? Seriously, because if Dr. King was here, he'd be banging on the U.S. government's prison slavery, the institutional racism, the poverty, the U.S. militarism, all the things he was banging on when he was alive. And he would not be making underhanded sly comments towards the black community. So that's what that exchange was about. And you know, I mentioned in a video I did about it that, that he had stolen an ideal from me. And what he had done was when New Abolitionist Radio, Barack Obama first um, put this online where you could they put a petition site for the White House online. And if you got 50,000 signatures, then Barack Obama would address it in a video address or, or whatever. And so I put one up for the 13th Amendment and I asked for him to comment on the fact that slavery was never abolished and, and all of that good stuff. And so I was looking to really gain, you know, enough signatures. So I pushed it out to Boyce Watkins and, and I asked him what he shared with his followers and what have you. So he shared it one time on Facebook and then two weeks later, here he comes with a letter signed by people like Will Smith, Lil Wayne, and other celebrities uh, asking Barack Obama to comment on not slavery, not the 13th Amendment, um, but on mass incarceration. And I felt some kind of way about that because he wasn't even thinking about this issue and he never talks about this issue. I have questioned him. I say, well, you like to teach black people how to invest in Wall Street. Are you teaching them not to invest in companies that are utilizing prison slave labor? Never get a response. So I felt some kind of way about him um, taking that ideal from me and then twisting it and then, because of his high profile, getting a letter, getting his open letter to Barack Obama on mass incarceration, uh, signed by a bunch of celebrities, and not even asking me, you know, my input or if I would like to sign. So I have a history with him, and I don't care for him. 
And I don't like the way that he takes shots at the black community, underhanded shots. Right, right. I'm, I am I feel you on that, buddy. I've listened to quite a bit of his material over the years, and I've only once heard him address uh, modern-day slavery and human trafficking, and that was when he was talking about, uh, I, I put a video together about it, where he was talking about Tavis Smiley, where he wrote an article published in Time magazine titled, Why I Fear America Could Enslave Black People Again. And Boyce Watkins came back and said, again, they're already enslaved. And he basically uh, mimicked many of the things that we say, but by the end of that video, he had gotten, it gotten really convoluted because he started attributing it to economic slavery. And he often uses uh, metaphors about what he's doing uh, and, and compares himself to Harriet Tubman because of what he's doing. Uh, so he doesn't really see modern-day slavery, but I, I guess at that one instance, he felt it necessary to remind uh to remind Tavis Smiley about slavery still going on today. So to say that he doesn't know would be uh, a wrong statement. He does know. He just chooses not to discuss it. Right, because, again, I, I, I would have to go back a couple of years, but the messages in our discussion is archived in, the, in, in Facebook Messenger. So he definitely knows. Um, but we have a caller uh, out of the uh, 803 area code who has unmuted themselves. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Give us your name and speak your piece. Hello, gentlemen. This is Greg. How are you doing? Greetings, Greg. <laughs> How you doing, my brother? I'm doing well, my friends. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to share one little piece of uh, information with you fellows um, that uh, a move that I think I'm going to be making and, and you're uh, largely responsible. I, um, uh, an article was published at The Guardian about um, the, uh, the uh, Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, their racist past and their racist uh, uh, status currently. And um, I sent a letter to my uh, two state legislators in the uh, process to express my disgust. And as I was looking at um, Shane Martin's, uh, he, he's my uh, senator, as I was looking at his page at the state legislative uh, website, I noticed that he serves on the, uh, on the, the prison committee. I don't know exactly what the terminology for it is, but it's the, the one responsible for, um, for criminal justice in the prison, criminal justice in the prison system. And I said to myself, well, you know, I don't know that I need to, that, that, well, I do know that I need to, but I don't know that it would necessarily be effective to go right at this fellow about, um, about uh, prison slavery because he probably has no freaking idea. But, and, and this is part of why I need to ask you gentlemen, I'm, I'm not certain um, you may not be certain, but one thing that I do know is no one cannot understand the idea that an inmate in South Carolina should not be sent to North Dakota. And if that kind of, that's the human trafficking angle of this deal. And if that yeah. stuff is going on in South Carolina, I want him to address that and I want him to fix that. that that's, only a, that's only a piece of the picture, but it's a piece that I think even a conservative Republican who says that he cares about family values 
might be able to understand. You're absolutely right. That is the human trafficking aspect of this modern-day slavery system. So I didn't know that South Carolina was shipping inmates out to, did you say North Dakota? I don't know that they are. I've got to find out. They, all South Carolina inmates may be, may be kept in South Carolina. I don't know. But I do know that other states have arrangements. I mean, I, you, you folks have, have, comment or have, have reported on inmates from Hawaii being forced to come to the mainland United States. How the hell are their families going to stay connected if they can't even, what, are they going to move to the mainland United States and leave behind their lives? They're going to pay an uh, overpriced service to Skype them. Right, right. And even that, you know as well as I do, that's not the same as face-to-face, much less touching. So right. That, I, just, I just basically wanted to let you fellas know that I'm going to investigate this, find out what's happening in the South Carolina Department of Corrections, whether or not that's going on. And, um, and, and if it is going on, then I'm going to go right at that state legislator and say, let's deal with this. Let's deal with it this term. Let's get this taken care of. Any South Carolina inmate should be housed in a correctional facility as close as possible to their family, period. Right. I don't even think someone from the coast should be sent to the upstate or someone from the upstate sent to the coast. And if you commit us um, in the state of South Carolina, that's where you're supposed to serve your time. You didn't commit a crime in Michigan or North Dakota or Las Vegas. No, you didn't do anything Thanks. wrong there. And, and there's no reason for us to be shipping prisoners across state lines in order to fill beds in other states because they have these mandatory uh, requirements of uh, 80 to 100 percent occupancy. And but no. you mentioned Hawaii, and for those that are listening and may not be aware, right now in Arizona there is a prison called Eloy, and Eloy only houses Hawaiians. Like, how the hell does that even make sense? You commit a crime in Hawaii and they send you over to Arizona to a prison called Eloy that only houses Hawaiians. Well, maybe they're trying to hide the fact from the indigenous population of just how many of them that are being enslaved. And so let's move them out the state since it's just a little tiny island and what have you. And we don't want to dock the island with a bunch of prisons. So let's just ship them off. Let's 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 engage in human trafficking. Um, But this goes back to what we discussed at the beginning with the uh, Jared Kushner initiated a campaign that they had a little press conference about about job training so that we can reduce recidivism well there is nothing you're not going to find a stronger support system than your family and so when you are tearing families apart then I mean, that contributes to the recidivism when you have no contact with family members. I mean, I'm just, again, I'm envisioning pre-1865 slavery where a victim of slavery's children or or spouse, you know, in as much as, you know, two victims of slavery could get married, uh, being ripped away from them and, and shipped off somewhere else. I'm telling people, man, everything that you read about that was going on during pre-1865 slavery is still occurring today. Families are being torn apart. And so, Greg, please keep us informed in any assistance that we can lend. Please let us know. Yes, indeed. I and will. And in the Green Party, uh, for those that don't know, and worked diligently with David Homer, uh, who ran on an abolitionist 
platform here in South Carolina for District 5. You were going to say something else, and, Greg? And, yes, just that, um, uh, that, and I realize this is a, a stretch for a lot of people, perhaps, probably not for many people listening to this program. We know that enslavers were willing to impregnate their enslaved women and then sell their children. We know today that there are women in prison who become pregnant at the hands of their enslavers in the form of the prison guards. So, as you said, nothing has changed. I'm going to mute myself on my phone. Thank you, gentlemen. Greg, there's a quote that another friend of mine just sent me, and actually reminds me of you. And uh, it's from Tremaine Lockhart, and he said, while there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. And that's from Eugene V. Debs. And it kind of reminds me of you, Greg, because uh, I could see that type of feeling in your heart. As long as these injustices are going on, you are going to be fighting. One of my favorite quotes, brother. <laughs> and I'm no Debs. <laughs> All right, Scotty Reed, uh, there is... Uh, couple of stories that I want to get to, and today's uh, segments of our Abolitionist in Profile and our Rider, as well as our For Freedom's Sake segment, are all very, very powerful segments and new, particularly the Abolitionist in Profile. I'm trying something new with that. So I want to make sure I allot enough time just to cover all of those. So I suspect we have about eight minutes left to cover the news and opinions. Is there anything that you want to cover uh, before I went into the next one? No, sir. Any callers that have, want to make any comments or uh, chime in on anything we've said so far with any questions or anything? Um, no so, one's unmuted. Uh, yes, Tag wants to chime back in. Go ahead, Tag. All right. Uh, peace. Is the um, audio okay? Uh, is it too much background noise? No, you're fine. No. I, excellent. Uh, appreciate it and, and appreciate the, the callers uh, throughout and um, I just really wanted to highlight one uh, recent death by uh, slave catchers that occurred out here um, in the past couple of months in New York City. And um, there, is, there should be posted um, recently an article following up about it. Literally the only article that I've seen in the past few weeks to possibly even a month um, about this brother Mario Sanabria, and um, he he was he was the uh, brother from Honduras who had been out here for decades um, in in the in New York City in the Bronx, you know, um, steadily working, and he was uh, you know um, caught up in a a wrongful um, encounter, a mistaken identification uh, that the NYPD is just completely um, trying to stonewall around. And I, I just find it very uh, suspect that after it was revealed that this was a case of mistaken identity, there's been almost no follow-up on uh, this particular story and, and this uh, untimely death. And um, furthermore, uh, also posted um, within uh, this, this particular broadcasts um, you know, page on BTR community is the fact that now these uh, 
NY, the slave catcher union out here in New York City is attempting to uh, sue such that the footage from the body cameras uh, not be released because they claim that it violates their quote unquote civil rights. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just yes, monstrous. Um, it's, 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 you know, it, it's playing games with, with language, playing, playing games with uh, the, the contracts that, you know, overrun, um, you know, life out here underneath um, this, this, these corporate states. And it's, um, and it also speaks to exactly what, what y'all have been saying um, in this broadcast and others, as far as um, connecting with uh, Frederick Douglass's uh, proclamation that, you know, to the extent that they can get away with it, these slavers will do exactly what they can do. And so when we see stories like that of the Jersey um, plantation system, wherein they attempted to uh, completely ban um, Michelle Alexander's work and then just totally reverse that, um, likewise, out here in, in New York City, they attempted to totally ban um, all uh, care packages from family members, you know, and, and essentially just totally privatize that entire endeavor and have all, you know, every item that one can offer to, you know, help, you know, just to support loved ones on the inside under, you know, uh, enslaved conditions. They attempted to funnel all of that into five um, private entities. And, you know, they got the pushback from it. And immediately, uh, you know, you start to see politicians out of the woodworks. Once, you know, that critical mass was reached, they totally reversed um, what it was that they were saying. Now, you know, uh, that's that's a, a, a victory. And, of course, it's encouraging to see that, you know, that, that pressure was successful but it's just one of the countless examples that you know it's just a threshold that has to be maintained and so long as we hold the line and continue to push it forward you know they 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 will have to recognize that you know we are watching and we are pushing back against what what they're doing and any any uh degree to which we you know let the line go that's where they will continue to try and you know uh, tighten the screws um, of of enslavement out here. So I just I, I completely, you know, um, am in accord with what all of y'all are saying. And I just wanted to raise the name of Mario Sanabria and also um, Tremaine Wilborn and also Greg Gunn. I, I, I feel as though um, there are these there are so many stories um, behind the slaveocracy out here that it becomes overwhelming and um, it becomes very difficult to keep track and to hold the line behind individuals. But, you know, it, it, it's critical that we, we maintain all of each other behind this because any any slackening and they, they, they pounce, you know, it's a very predatory system, as, as y'all know. That's, that's what I wanted to uh, speak toward. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you, Tag. Uh, it's always good to get um, battlefield victories and, and reports. Um, so that we don't become or some of us don't become disillusioned and think that there is no end in sight or that we're wasting our time and they're just too powerful and there's nothing we can do. So I, I really appreciate when we get those types of reports of victories from the people saying, no, 
And we just, like Tag mentioned, we just got to keep the pressure on and keep pushing and we won't stop until slavery has actually been abolished here. If we abolish it here in the United States, then that will resonate around the world because this is a worldwide problem. So thank you for that report. Um, Max, you, you asked me, I think it is important that we do get that story in and some of the details about the movement against prison slavery that is ramping up with Operation Push in Florida. Yes, that is actually our uh, one of our regular... Oh, it is? For this. Yes, uh, so for our uh, rebellion, we'll be talking about Operation Push. Okay, okay, my uh, bad. I, just for the record, I want to actually read the quote by Frederick Douglass that we've all been trying to touch on today. And it says, the limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. Frederick Douglass. Like, it's literally up to us when we have said we have had enough, when we realize that abolition is the reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace, things will change. All right, Scotty, I want to squeeze in two stories out of three that I had on my list just real quick. The okay, we'll is, take we'll take uh, the last station identification break right after that, after you read these two stories, and then we will go into our regular segments. Okay, sounds great. The first one is from Vice News, and apparently there's good news coming out of California. January 1st was a big day for California. In addition to legalizing recreational marijuana, the state fully adopted one of the most sweeping criminal justice reforms in recent years. The new law, Prop 64, not only okayed possession for people 21 and older, but also allowed anyone to apply to have their past marijuana-related offenses reduced or expunged completely. And roughly one million Californians are eligible, according to the Drug Policy Alliance. So uh, that's really good news that if you're in California and you have a record because of marijuana possession or marijuana charges, they have made it through Prop 64 easy for you to be able to get that completely expunged from your record. And we know that those type of charges uh, last for lifetimes on your records and affect everything. So you can get that taken off now as of January 1st. So shout out to the people who made that happen. Yes, Uh, thank you very much for your work because that, again, ties into uh, this notion that job training prevents recidivism. And these are low-skilled jobs that don't even exist right now. But, again, the reason for that, fel- I call it a felony slave status. And when people see that on your record, then it's very, your chances of getting uh, regular employment are slim, to none. And I also want to give a shout out. I can't recall his name, but he's been a guest on the program. We've had so many guests who was a prisoner himself at one time, came out, started a construction company, and all he hires is former victims of slavery, even though he has to pay a higher insurance bond in order to employ those individuals. I think that might be soon be Moses, who uh, we're working on having as a guest or a pre-recorded interview with him on here. You know, he just had a huge victory where his case uh, is being reviewed now, and and uh, he's about to be exonerated. No, this guy's already out. He's been out, 
He's running he's a constru- right now. Yeah, he's running a construction company and to and he hires uh former victims of slavery and he has to pay a higher insurance um you know for his construction business, but yeah. he's like, "Hey, you know, I got to help these people cuz I've been there." All right, Scotty. Well, just to squeeze this last story in, uh, and then we'll take our break and come back with our regular scheduled segment, is the story that uh, talks about what happened to the fourth graders. I referenced it earlier, and uh, this comes from Raw's story. It says a teacher at a Lutheran school in uh, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, has sparked outrage after asking students to come up with three reasons why it was good for people to own slaves. And uh, local news station Fox 6 reports that a teacher at Our Redeemer Lutheran School gave students a homework assignment that asked them to list the potential positives and potential negatives of slavery. Parent Tramika Brown-Berry, whose son was one of the students asked to complete the assignment, tells Fox News Now that she was appalled that any teacher would ask her son to think of good reasons for his ancestors to be enslaved by white people. Let me repeat that, because that's pretty much a bottom line. She was appalled that any teacher would ask her son, who is a fourth grader, to think of good reasons for his ancestors to be enslaved by white people. It's highly offensive and insensitive, she explains to the news station. I was in shock. I couldn't believe they sent something like that home. Not only was my son in an awful position, but the students who weren't black, that's what keeps racism going. Uh, Jim Vendellen, the principal of Our Redeemer's Lutheran School, issued a formal apology while adding that students shouldn't have bothered to complete the assignment because there are no good reasons for slavery. And that's the line. There are no good reasons for slavery, unless, of course, you are a slaver. And then I'm sure you could come up with many of them. And I was speaking to a friend of mine online today, and apparently this is not an uncommon practice. This actual questionnaire or this test seems to be something that is offered to more than one school to pass out to their children to do. Probably the same company that is creating a curriculum and textbooks for Texas that where they say that the pre-1865 victims of slavery were migrant workers. And unpaid interns. <laughs> unpaid interns. Man, with that statement, we're going to take our break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. When we come back on the other side, we got some special presentations for you in our regular segments. We'll be right back. podcast and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com peace and welcome back to new abolitionist radio we're about to go into our final segments for the evening we've uh, put together something special for you uh as a matter of fact uh, scotty if you want to uh pick one of them the only one that i'd like to do is the abolitionist in profile 
but we also have our other two segments, which is our rebellion in regards to the Florida uprising, which is happening right now, and also our rider of the 21st century underground railroad. Okay, I will start with the 21st century rider of the 21st, I'm sorry, <laughs> let me say that again, we will start with our rider of the 21st century underground railroad, there's actually a video, and I'm going to attempt to play this video, it's trying to load up for me right now, uh, give me just a second, but this is about, uh, how do you say his name? Sunday Moses uh, coerced into... Oh, hold on, hold on. Scotty, Scotty, that is actually the wrong one. Uh, this week is the woman, 17 years after being convicted of grisly murders in Vegas, Kristen Lobato sees her charges dismissed. The only reason I put up Sunday is because he's going to be our guest next week. So oh, I hope okay. That okay, well, let me find it, <laughs> Max. Uh, 17 years, okay, got it. I found it uh, out of from the intercept, uh, actually. So our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad uh, this week is Kirsten Lobato. And 17 years after being convicted of a grisly murder in Vegas, Kirsten Lobato sees her charges dismissed on December. And this is an article that was published on the intercept by Jordan Smith. Uh, on December the 29th, 2017. On December the 20, 29th, more than a decade after she was first sent to prison in Nevada for murder she did not commit, Kirsten Blaze Lobato saw the charges against her dismissed. It is the end to her nearly 17-year nightmare, said Vanessa Polkin, director of post-conviction conviction litigation for the Innocence Project, which took on Lobato's case. It's over. Lobatos was twice convicted of the gruesome murder of a 44-year-old homeless man named Duran Bailey, whose body was found behind a dumpster off the Las Vegas Strip just after 10 p.m. on July 8, 2001, covered in a thin layer of trash. Bailey's teeth had been knocked out and his eyes were bloodied and swollen short. His, ca his carotid artery had been slashed, his rectum stabbed, and his penis amputated. It was found among the trash nearby. Despite a crime scene rich with potential evidence, Las Vegas detectives Thomas Towson and James LaRochelle ignored obvious leads and instead focused their investigation on 18-year-old Lobato based solely on a third-hand rumor. I mean, really, we're putting people into slavery over rumors now. Lobato, who was a stranger to Bailey, had an alibi for the day of the crime. She was at home with her parents in the small town of Panica, nearly three hours northeast of Las Vegas near the Utah state line. Still, detectives and prosecutors insisted that Lobato had been in the city during the early morning hours of July 8th, killing Bailey before setting off in her old Pontiac Fiero for the long drive up the unlit mountainous highway, making it home in time to get cleaned up before being seen around the neighborhood later that morning. The state's theory of the crime fell apart this past October when Potkin and the team from the Innocence Project presented nearly a week's worth of testimony from several renowned entomologist and a medical examiner, each of whom demonstrated why the state's narrative never made any scientific sense. 
In short, had Bailey been slaughtered in the pre-down hours and his body left outside all day in the summer heat, as the state claimed, blowflies, nature's swift and ubiquitous first responders to scenes of death, would have quickly colonized his remains, leaving visible clusters of eggs in his various wounds. Still, the prosecution would not be bowed. At the October hearing, Prosecutor Sandra D. Giacoma tried to peddle the notion that flies in Las Vegas behave unlike flies everywhere else in the world. It didn't work. In a detailed opinion filed December 19th, Judge Stephanie Miley concluded that the testimony of Lobato's experts was credible and, and had a jury heard such evidence, she might have been acquitted. Miley granted Lobato a new trial. That left District Attorney Stephen Wolfson with three possibilities. Appeal, the ruling to the Nevada Supreme Court, a long shot given the court had granted the hearing before Judge Miley based on its determination that Lobato's alibi evidence was strong. Retry the case, another loser option, particularly since Miley's ruling left the DA, left the DA without any evidence to try the case again or dismiss the charges and free Lobato. And in short, um, let me jump down as we uh, have limited time. By Friday afternoon, excuse me, on Friday morning, Wilson chose option three and prosecutors went to court to ask that a judge dismiss the charges against Lobato with prejudice, meaning the state could never seek to prosecute her again for the crime. By Friday afternoon, Pockin said she had spent the day on and off the phone with Florence McClure Women's Correctional Center in Las Vegas trying to arrange for Lobato's immediate release as was called for in the judge's order. The defendant shall be released from the custody of the Nevada Department of Corrections forthwith, Judge Elizabeth Gonzalez wrote. If Lobato isn't released on December the 29th, Potkin said she will have to remain in prison through New Year's Day. For Michelle Ravel, Lobato's dedicated advocate, her release can't come a minute too soon. Ravel said that Lobato, now 35, will live with her while she works to put her life back together. Indeed, Lobato has spent most of her adulthood locked up for a crime she did not commit. I always knew this was going to happen, Ravel said. I just want to go and get her. And New Abolitionist Radio welcomes Kirsten Lobato to freedom. Welcome to Freedom. Man. All right. Uh, I, I guess I should just tag team you and, and go on to the next one, or do you want to also do the Florida story? Um, you said which one did you want to do in particular? The abolitionist in profile. Okay. I, I will take it. Just give me a second to get there. Um, and All right. I'm, I'm there. I, I put it up on the new app. Page and I, I believe the title says Florida. Florida prisoners prepared. Yes. Okay. Well, there's several up there. You can pick either one up. Yes. Florida inmates to strike against prison slavery. I love it. I love it when we when we get those sort of titles in these mainstream articles. This comes from Newsweek.com. This is why it's important that we use accurate language because the the uh, how can I say this? 
It's just good to use accurate language instead of calling something mass incarceration when the majority of people are not in prison. It's just inaccurate. This is a continuation of slavery through the prisons as the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says. So Florida inmates to strike against prison slavery and inhumane conditions on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And this article is giving me a little trouble, Max. Um, if you'll bear with me. It's, no problem, bro. It's taking a while to load up. Uh, it's actually trying to lock up. Um, I'm going to have to... Let me see if I can just pick the other one. I hate it when that happens. Now I got to... It, it locked up my browser, Max. So if you have it, man, you could go ahead and, and read it and, and take the other one. Okay, um, sure. Let me let me get it. I got it right up now. <clears throat> Florida prisoners prepare to strike, demanding an end to unpaid labor and brutal conditions. Florida prisoners are calling for a general strike to start, which has already started this week, marking the third mass action over a course of a year in protest of inhumane conditions in the state's detention facilities. Detainees in at least eight prisons have declared their intention to stop all work on Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, to demand an end to unpaid labor and price gouging in prison commissaries, as well as the restoration of parole, among other requests. Coordinated, nonviolent prison protests, as well as spontaneous uprisings amid deteriorating conditions, have escalated in recent years both nationwide and in Florida, which has the third largest prison system in the country. Prisoners in the state were among the most active during a nationwide strike in September 2016, which was quickly dubbed the largest prison strike in U.S. history. At least 10 Florida prisons participated in that action, which was planned to coincide with the 45th anniversary of the Attica prison uprising, which started a day early when tensions flared at Holmes Correctional Institution in Florida Panhandle. Then, in August, in response to prison activists' calls for another show of dissent, Department of Corrections officials placed the entire state system, 143 facilities, and 97,000 people on lockdown, an unprecedented move. Incarcerated organizers of this week's strike have chosen to remain anonymous to prevent, prevent retaliation but they shared a statement outlining their demands with outside supporters in an audio message from prison shared with The Intercept. One of the organizers described the action as non-violent protest to get what we deserve from our government. They use wordplay and deceive the public about what really goes on inside the system, and we want to expose those things. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you and give you honor. Operation PUSH for your efforts in this prison labor work strike. Salute. Salute. Salute, most definitely. And again, this was when Max read that part, because I was going to mention that. I'm glad it was included in the article. Um, The Florida prisoners were in solidarity with our march, uh, Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March that we participated in in Washington, D.C., on August the 19th, and they put the entire system, as Max just read, on lockdown. Listen, my fellow abolitionists, we are making an impact. So just keep up the fight. 
Yes, sir. You're absolutely right, Scott. Scotty, we are making an impact, and uh, we have been involved in a lot of this stuff and the organization as well as the promotions of it, getting the word out to people. Um, here's something new that I'm going to try with our abolitionists in profile. You know, every week we try to profile an abolitionist and tell you about them. But there's a lot of abolitionists out there who are not famous and don't have a bio. Sometimes all that is left of them is a couple of their speeches. And one of those is the one I want to present today in order to remember our abolitionist in profile, the Reverend Edward Scott, circa 1857. And this is a speech that he wrote, which I will now read. At a free will Baptist meeting held in Providence, the Reverend Edward Scott, a Negro minister, was called on to speak. He said, I was thinking, while Brother Dunn was speaking, of Christianity among slaveholders. Now, I am a kind of president of the Underground Railroad and once helped to get one of Henry Clay's slaves away. He used to drive old Henry round. A few years before he ran away, he said, he said his master thought he experienced religion. But all he could say was, whereas I was once blind, now I see. And yet, said the runaway, he, told, he sold my son, good Christian still. I tell you, Mr. President, I believe but little in the religion of the South. My old mistress was one of the greatest Christians you ever saw. Why, she was brimful of religion. I want to tell you just how she used to serve me. She used to tie me to the bedpost and whip me. I remember one time, just as she was doing it, the minister came in, and oh, you ought to have seen the long face she put on as she said, they are so bad, I am obliged to correct them. And so the minister prayed, and heaven knows I was all the time praying that the devil would take both woman and minister. I have known much of religion in the South, in many places where the blacks are, expect, are preached to, the smallest boy can tell you what the text is to be. They have got it by heart. Servants, be obedient to your masters. So time-serving are southern ministers, and many at the north are not two cents better. Mr. President, you all know that I am a fugitive, and knowing that I, what I know of slavery and feeling what I have felt of it, if called upon to go back to it, I would say give me liberty or give me death. This is the doctrine preached down there in Pond Street. His church is on that street. Ministers preach against fighting. That is very well. But in the name of God, how can fugitives join the peace society with Judge Taney at their back? White folks' religions don't do for black folks anyhow. The devil is at our heels every day in the shape of slaveholders. Mr. President, a few weeks ago I sat that in that great gathering in this city of all the great ministers in the country, I watched their prayers and heard not one of them pray for the sins of our nation. I looked at them and was so wicked. I confess it to you, but I would not to one of those creatures that I, what I said in my heart. Oh, you pale-faced hypocrites. They had agreed to keep still and did send missionaries to the heathen and shed great crocodile tears as big as your fist. Let the reader bear in mind that Brother Scott is a fugitive. In the name of God, how is that God called so many to preach to the heathen and none to the south? This is what puzzles me. I should think somebody would be called to take their lives in their hands and preach to the heathen to the south. 
today, while standing here as a representative of three million of my brethren, I feel grateful as a man and as a Christian that my lot was ever cast among the free will Baptists. And now, all I want is that you should take this subject right home to yourselves. Go with me for a moment into the South. You are sitting with your family around your fireside. A being walks in, in the shape of a man, and begins to feel the hands and the head of your boy and girl, and says to your boy, I have bought you, and you must go with me. How would, that, how would you feel, mothers and fathers? Now take this matter right home to yourself. November 28, 1857, Edward Scott, courtesy of the Black Abolitionist Archives, document number 19201. We here at New Abolitionist Radio remember you, Reverend Edward Scott. Salute. Salute. Salute, most certainly. And it's just amazing to me that, and I'm all about spitting out the bones, okay? You can find a lot of good stuff in the Bible, and then you'll find some stuff that you don't agree with, so you spit out the bones. That's what I do, because I've had debates with fellow Christians about um, the Apostle Paul being in prison and and then writing this letter about Philemon and saying, oh, he's a Christian now. Uh, don't treat him too harshly. He's your brother in Christ. But not once did Paul in that letter say, he's your brother, so set him free. And so it, it's just it's just you had these two different communities, both claiming to be Christians. And in, in, and in the context of what you just read, the white Christian church practicing slavery in the black Christian church running the Underground Railroad. How can that be? You know, so they both cannot be. And then it also reminds me of the evangelicals who are so behind Donald Trump and, you know, Paula White, who is Donald Trump's spiritual advisor. Come on, give me a break. So I'm going to share with you uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, meaning that that I'm just making a bunch of noise and that my words are hollow. Max. Absolutely right, Brother Scotty. They did show a representation of two types of Christians where only one could be a real Christian. Well, only one is actually following the steps of Christ and being Christ-like. The other is a demon disguised as a Christian. And, you know, that's probably the first time that this brother, Reverend Edward Scott, has been remembered in likely a century for his work as an abolitionist. And I want to try to do that more often, to find these obscure and uh, not well-remembered men and women who participated in gaining what freedom we have gained and try to remember their names and their stories, even if it's only a speech. Word, word. Because there are countless, countless, countless abolitionists whose names we will never know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Scotty. <laughs> Man, that what is that statement? Uh, servants, be true to your masters. What does that mean? All that means is that if you tell somebody or if you enslave somebody, that they have to obey you. Like anybody could do that and claim that it's Christian. I just enslaved you. Now you have to obey me. The Bible says so. That is crazy, man. Crazy. 
the things that people believe and follow and do. Like you said, Scotty, they were not practicing what Christ was practicing. And they are in existence today, doing the same exact thing. Even Martin Luther King talked about those white churches who stood by silently while all of this went on, and they are still doing it right now. Yes, well, sir. we've come to the end of our program, Scotty, uh, and I know you need a couple minutes to be able to get to the next program, so uh, I guess we need to close it out. Any final statements from you? Um, yes. I just want to thank all of our callers who called in uh, with their reports and their observations and I'm just encouraged and I want you all to be encouraged that there is an end in sight and I see it and I will continue to do all that I can you know and contribute to this fight and everybody has a role to play and just play that role just do what you can and we will end slavery once and for all and thank you. Indeed. I echo Scotty words, and I'll close with a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., which says, Nothing, no thing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Remember, abolition is the reason for a revolution, y'all, so we can finally know some peace. 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 Rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and peace.